I'm uh, incredibly glad that you're here. Um, before I explain why, um, I want to just challenge us this morning in regards to what's coming up in a couple weeks, Easter. Um, statistics show that if you ask someone who doesn't attend church to come to church on Easter, there's a really, really, really good chance they will. And so I just want to kind of challenge us and invite us to even begin praying about maybe some people that we've been talking with, ministering to, loving on, um, that we might be able to invite into this community for that morning um, to experience the celebration of, of, of Easter. Um, but I, I'm excited that you're here because I just, I really believe that God has just um, a challenging word for us this morning. Um, I had something specific planned out for this morning, um, and uh, the Lord just said, nope, we're not doing that. And I had it all built out, <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I guess we're going a different direction. So then I just <laughs> reworked it, and, uh, and so we're here. And, um, and I think it's built around this idea that um, innate within us as human beings is the tendency to give up. And a tendency to quit. Now, I know there's some rare ones in here. <laughs> um, and there's some rare ones in the world that like just never give up and never quit. I'm lucky to be married to one of those people. But, um, but we're going to go to Psalm 126. So if you have your Bible, I want to encourage you to go there. Um, and we're going to see this challenge based on the faithfulness of God to not give up. Um, so, if you're like me, you love the Psalms. Um, I, I think one of the things that uh, I heard, I found this this week, that uh, the reason why we love the Psalms is like when you read the Bible, so much of the Bible speaks to us, right? Like we read it and it's talking to us. But when we get to the Psalms, the Psalms actually speak for us, right? You just, you read them and you resonate and you're just like, yeah, like that's inspired. And he just like, Told God off. Like, is that okay? It's in the Bible. Like, what, like, what, do, we, like, what do we do with that? And, but it's there. Uh, it's like, that's how I feel. So the Psalms, like, they speak for us. Um, they're this inspired record of the fight of faith. This journey that we're pursuing. And so, like, when you, when you read the Bible and you get to the Psalms, really leading up to the Psalms... Are there two competing realities that kind of set the stage for like what the Psalms are? Um, the first is the promises of God, um, and the second is Israel's mess. Okay, so the promises of God, like like right out of the gate, you see God's promise to Abraham, like I'm going to do this unbelievable work in you and through you, and I'm going to preserve you, and your your your, your descendants are going to be like innumerable. You can't even count them, and it goes for hundreds of years, and then you get to David, and and David, you know, comes on the scene, and 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 then we get to the Psalms, um, but then the other the other competing reality is. That Israel is in just an unbelievable amount of idolatry. Like when you read the Bible, it's like striking, right? 
like how much God just gives instruction to his people and they're just like, no, like I'm, I'm not doing it. Like I'm doing my own thing. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to ignore you. Um, and really what we're going to see the stage that's set is um, that Israel then is taken captive by foreign powers because of their own sinful choices. Their own volition to ignore God's, here's God's promise. Here's what God said. Here's what God's done. Nope, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm smarter. I'm wiser. Um, and so by the time the Psalms are collected in Scripture, God's people find themselves in captivity. They're in bondage. They're struggling. Um, and so it really narrows down to this one central question. And here's the question. Is God going to keep his promise and do what he said? Like, we're in captivity. This is what God said. Yeah, this is what we did. But it's going to boil down to, will God fulfill on his promise in the midst of our idolatry? And so then you come to what's known as the Psalms of Ascent. Now, this idea of um, ascent, the Psalms of Ascent, which are Psalm 120 through 134. And these Psalms, really, to, to ascend means to step up or to come out. Okay, um, it's really this picture of Israel coming out of their bondage and their captivity um, under their own choices, and it's, this, it's a hopeful focus on the Messiah's coming, Jesus is, is our rescue, we're believing that, and we're journeying towards that. So maybe you've heard of this idea of the Psalms of Ascent being these songs that were sung by the Jewish pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem, so several times a year. They would travel to Jerusalem to worship God. And on that journey, they would sing psalms, um, 120 to 134, as they're journeying to Jerusalem. And if you're familiar with Jerusalem, the Temple Mount is actually on Mount Zion. So they're traveling. It's the psalms of ascent as they travel up the journey to the presence of God, where they're, where they're trusting in his promises and believing that he is who he says that he is, or at least trying to in the midst of their own idolatry. And so there's this burning question, is God going to come through on his promises? Okay, now, that's the stage that we're on. Psalm 126. Let's read it, and then we'll circle back. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. And so... Um, we come to the first two verses, which are really a, this narrative picture that kind of set the stage for Psalm 126. And in the midst of this picture, we're going to see um, like several things play out. The first is, this is a song where God's people are, are really pressing into who God is in the midst of the fact that they've just experienced freedom from captivity in Babylon. You can Go back and do some research on the specifics of what that looks like. So this is this is not this has been written not long after they've been freed from captivity in Babylon, which let me remind us was a result of their own idolatry, was a result of their own sinful choices. God, we're doing this, we're ignoring who you say you are and what you've called us to in our own stubbornness. 
yet God shows him favor. Isn't that amazing? When you read the Old Testament, you see, like, God gives a command. They're morons. They do their own thing. And God punishes them. Like, they're in captivity. And then what happens? He sets them free. And then they're like, oh, God is so good. Maybe we should listen to him this time. And then what happens? Like, God gives a command. Nope, we're doing our own thing. Like, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Um, sounds like my, my life. And so God gives them favor. And it's so good. Like, if you look at the text, it says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. So literally, here's what they're thinking. Is this really happening? And so they've been in captivity and bondage and overwhelmed and consumed by their circumstances for so long now. They're finally, like, there's some freedom they're experiencing, and they're just like, you know, like, am I awake? Is this, is this real? Is this really happening? Like, I feel like this is the dream. Like, this is too good to be true. And then and you ever have those situations, like, where you're actually dreaming, you wake up, and you're like, I knew it. I knew it was too good to be true. And then look at verse 2. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. I think um, it, it's so easy, is it not, to forget God's provision. Right? Even right now, how many of us oftentimes are consumed by the burden or what's going on or how we don't want things to go that we so often forget God's provided. God's provided. You know like the story of the feeding of the 5,000? Like day or two after that, that incident, the disciples are in their boat traveling with Jesus and they forgot their lunch and they begin to freak out. Jesus looks at them and he says, guys, don't you remember what I just did? Like, lunch is on me, right? Like, we forget. We forget God's provision when we're distracted by our own situation, by our own despair. Um, God's people here, the Jewish people here in this passage, were brought back to the reality of how good God's been. So they're in this moment where they're just celebrating God's provision, God's goodness, and like it literally says, they begin to laugh. Have you ha- had those moments? Like where joy is just like, just amazing that it leads to laughter, just leads to exuberance. Maybe it was when your baby was born. Maybe it was when the Cardinals won the World Series. Maybe it was watching Steph Curry hit that ridiculous three. Maybe it was when you bought a new car or you got the job you wanted or you aced that exam. Or maybe it was just hanging out with friends where you were having good food and a good drink and you were just overwhelmed with God's goodness. That's, that's where they're at. And they're like, is, is this real? Am I dreaming? God's provided. Some of you were at, a, at the family meeting um, last or on Wednesday night, and we did that a little bit. We just began to kind of rehearse and talk about, like, what's God done? Like, what are some ways that God's worked in our church? Um, Friday will be nine years as a church. Like, what are some things that God's done in the midst of this nine year? I can't believe it's nine years. That's crazy. In the midst of this nine year journey, we did that a bit Wednesday night. Because here's where I think, per, I'll speak personally, and maybe you can um, resonate Personally, where I think 
I tend to get bogged down or I, I miss out on trusting in the provision of the promises of God really flesh itself out in two ways. One in like the bogged down in the nitty gritty. So like, like life just goes on, right? Like there's still like there's laundry to do and there's mouths to feed and there's chores to do and the car's broken down and like all this circumstances and oh, we got to go to this parent-teacher conference and and. It's amazing over the past number of years how we've had moments where we've, we've stopped and we've, we've picked our heads up. We don't do it very well or very often just to say, like, gosh, can you just, like, look at what God's done in our family in the past several years. And we just look at, like, man, he's provided for us here. He's provided for us here. He's done this here. He's brought community around us here. He's done this in our church. He's done this in our family. He's done this in our kids. And, like, we just have this moment where it's like, it's crazy. It's amazing. God's faithful. God's good. The, the, the other one um, is just a growing sense of discontentment, right? Which is just fed to us by our culture. Like, it's just, like it's just never good enough. Like, what I have um, is just never good enough. And so we're, we're distracted in this discontentment, really in large part by the enemy that we forget to celebrate. We forget to celebrate what God's done, Right? And so, like, I think even in the midst of church and trying to do church and, man, how can we do things better? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask the elders, like, they probably hate me because I'm on the forefront of, like, how can we do better? And, like, things aren't good enough. And, like, I want to improve and I want to see God. I want to reach more people and I want to grow and I want to see God do these different things. Which are good things. I got to say that, right? It's my soapbox but I can be distracted and not celebrate the things that God's doing and the things that God's done. Like we've seen numerous people come to trust, come to faith in Christ as a church. We've seen numerous people baptized in this room, in different places around the city. We've seen people grow in Christ and be sent out on mission across the world We've seen marriages healed and growing. We've seen lives changed. We got, you just heard the cattle leave, right? Just heard, we got tons of amazing little souls that God's entrusted to us to push them to life in God's presence. And then I, I just found this out on Wednesday night. And this is just so remarkably encouraging as a, for me. Um, but there's a growing reputation um, among area churches and pastors, I don't know how big of it is, but at least it's, it's there, that North Church is a place that's just faithful. And North Church is a people that's just faithful. And like, man, I, I, I want to say like, well done, because I look at some of you like you've been here for years and you've pressed through nine years of all that God's done and the difficulty and the joy and God's doing a work, and he's making an impact. And he's saying, carry on. Carry on. The believers in Psalm 126 are looking around them, and they're declaring to the world, God's faithful. But I want you to notice what happens, because this is, this is just starking to me. Um, look at verse, look at the end of verse 2. They said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. Then look, look what happens, how the language changes in verse 3. The Lord has done great things for us us 
and we are glad. So they begin to sing this song among the community of faith. Like they're looking at what they're no longer looking at the world and proclaiming to the world, like, look how faithful our God is, which we should do. And we should think all the time about how can we proclaim the faithfulness of God to the world and then the world see it in our lives. But now they're looking around to one another and they're preaching the gospel to their own hearts and their own community, looking in the mirror, so to speak, to say, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. They're proclaiming that. I I, I think that's one of the things that I want to grow in and push us to as a church is how can we celebrate what God's doing in our midst? Here's what Here's what I stumbled across as as the Lord was teaching me this week, is that when we learn to celebrate what God's doing, not just focus on what we want God to do, which I'm the forerunner of what I want God to do that he's not currently doing, to my own shame. But when we focus on celebrating as a community, look at what God's done. One author calls it a praise we didn't plan. Check this out. This is, this is amazing. Listen, listen to this, these words. Even in all this grace, overcome with all this glory, one look around confirms that we're not home yet. There is a new Jerusalem for which we long, a lasting city upon which our hope is set, which means we're called to a kind of praise we didn't plan. We would have never designed it this way, but God knows what he's doing. He's let us taste a joy that defies this world, a mirth that confounds its wisdom. How do we sing the Lord's song here? By breathing in the air from there. We humbly realize that for now, as one writer puts it, the new humanity that is created around Jesus is not a humanity that's always going to be successful and in control of things, but a humanity that can reach out its hand from the depths of chaos to be touched by the hand of God. It's amazing. And when we grow as a people to celebrate, look at what God is doing, we learn to be a people that live out the command, give thanks in all circumstances. Right? And we learn to praise God in a way, gosh, like I didn't plan for this. I didn't plan my life necessarily to go this way or these situations to go this way. But there's a God who says, I work all things together for good to those that love me. There's a God who says, I'm in control, and I'm in charge, and I will take the mess, and I'll make it beautiful so you can praise me in a way that you didn't set out and say, I have this vision for my life, and it went how I wanted, praise God. But we can say, God's God. This is how my life went, and God is God, and I praise him for being God and being present in the midst of even things that I didn't plan or desire or want or hope for. So they're singing this song. That's what verse 3 is. And then verse 4, they begin to pray. They begin to pray. So I want you to see this because I think this is really, 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 really important because in the midst of the celebration, there's still a dream for their city. There's still a dream for their lives. There's still a dream for their community. Check it out. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams 
in the Negev. And I'll explain that word in just a minute. So in, in the midst of praising God, in the midst of all of God's good and God's faithful, we don't ignore the dream of what we want God to do. So they didn't ignore the struggle, right? Like, like when your kid's having seizures and you can't stop that and you have to learn to praise God in the midst of that, that doesn't mean you don't pray that your kid stops having seizures, right? That's what we gathered on Elsie up here and we prayed over her. God intervened in this child's heart, but yet we praise him in a way that we didn't plan. Brockmeyers didn't plan that that would happen, but we're going to praise him because he's a God that's worthy of praise in circumstances, in loss, where you've experienced heartache. Like, do we just praise God? Yes, but we still plead for him that the gospel would remove stronghold that injustice would no longer be present. We can praise God in the midst of injustice because God's in control, but yet we're going to pray that God removes injustice because it's injustice. You follow that? That sin would be obliterated. This is what the people in Psalm 126 are declaring to one another, are praying, God, we have a dream. We have a dream it's interesting as, as I've thought about this. Like we don't, we don't um, when it comes to like cities in the world and where people dream to live, North County is not the sexy one on, on the map. Right? Okay, let, let, me, let me test it this way. Those of you that are, I mean, what's, like, what's in here, Jake? I'm just going to call you out right here. Like when you want to grow up and drive, don't worry, it's not going to be awkward. I don't think. It already is. <laughs> already is. Like, what do you want to drive when you grow up? He doesn't know. Okay, I'm just going to answer that for you. White Durango. White Durango. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's what you're going to drive. <laughs> Maybe a van from time to time. <laughs> hey, go pick up your brothers and sister. <laughs> no, like... Every kid dreams of that sports car, right? Like, no kid's like, I want to grow up, and I want to drive a beater. I want the fenders to be falling off. I want that thing to be rusted out and nasty. And, like, everyone's going to be like, look at that guy. That is awesome. No. no nobody dreams of that. Like, nobody sets out their life and is like, like, well, majority of people don't set out their life for that. Right? And yet, I'm struck as a person that lives in this community, and I go to other places, and I tell people where I live, and they just kind of cringe. Or I tell people, I live five miles from Ferguson, and they're just like, like, oh. And I'm like, well, like, you don't have a clue. I love my city, and I feel completely safe in my city. Like, no one grows up dreaming of living in, in a tough place. Where ministry's hard and people want, don't want to stay. And there's challenges. And we try to navigate how do we raise our kids and how do we be the church? Like, like we want to be in that nice sports car where everyone's like, wow, can I come visit you? Can I ride in your car? It's like, no, I'll just send you a card and message you on Twitter. Right? Yet they have a dream. 
They have a restore our fortunes like streams in the Negev. This is a prayer, a gospel prayer, talking about living a dream that God would establish his kingdom where his kingdom isn't established. So the Negev is the southernmost region of Palestine. It's an arid section of the country that with infrequent and limited rainfall, very limited water resources, there was restricted opportunity for agriculture, and it was possible that one crop failure would happen every three years. It was dry and without water. It's hard. It wasn't the place like where, where people were experiencing what everyone wanted to experience. It was difficult and it was weary. But listen, when it rained, those waters soaked up those dry riverbeds. And saturated the dry soil. Almost like Psalm 63, 1, where the psalmist says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. God, you're better. And they're praying in the midst of that, that God would come to a dry and weary land and he would interact and he would move in a way that no one could imagine. That's dreaming. And that's a prayer I want to pray as a church over our homes, over our city, over our world. And then they come to the promise. Look at verse 5. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. They're praying and believing this promise that God promises fruitfulness for the lives of those who sow seeds into his work. So they're praying. That's what they're believing. And we talked about that at the family meeting. Kind of in some transition as a church, looking for a new Sunday morning location, which we have some, we'll talk about it here towards the end. Some financial struggle, giving is down, so we're having to restructure our budget and figure out, God, like, what are you doing? Like, so there's some, there's some present, like, struggles. Like, God, what's happening? Right? But yet, like, like what are we called to? We're called to sow in tears, which basically denotes, this is hard, stinking work. It makes you want to cry. It leaves you up at night. Have you had those moments as a parent, as an employee, as a sister or brother, as a human being where you're just like, God, how, like, how do I get through this? How do I handle this? How do I navigate this situation? Give me, give me wisdom. I don't even know how this is going to work itself out. This family awfulness. I don't even know what to do. But I'm going to cling to your promise. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Isn't it amazing how, how much, how easily we long for immediate fruit? Like, is anybody else that way? Like, you expect, like, one conversation, that's a changed heart and a changed life, and then never going to go back. And I go and I have that one conversation, I'm just like, 
And then I hear, like, downfall again. I'm like, man, didn't we talk? Like, wait, like, I pointed out that that, that happened and that you, here's what you should do instead. And, and it, like, but yet we lose sight of the fact that Jesus lived in obscurity for 30 years. Where he ever began to see the profound work of his father on his life. 21 years left, church. So Jesus did 30 years. And I'm like, God, come on. I had two conversations. This should be a changed life, this person. God, I've prayed for you to change that in my own life. Can you just do it? And he's like, it's going to take your entire life. And then once you get to heaven, then I'll remove your baggage and your insecurities and your doubts and your fears. I'm just like, can I just ask you to do it and just do it now? Like, can we just do that? He's like, I have a work that's beckoning you into a tearful journey to learn to praise me in a way that you didn't plan. Dang it. hate that. hate that. And here's what's crazy. This psalm, let's just think, like, think about every arena of life. Is this, is the truthfulness of this not just completely evident? Like, where can you go that you can do virtually nothing and get everything? Nowhere. Like, in every area, like, in, in sports, in business, in education, like, you've got to sow seeds. You've got to work hard. Like, even thinking, like, farming. Have you ever, like, tried to plant something? Some of you are like, man, I just put a seed in the ground. I mean, you ever tried to, like, rake some dry ground and plant some seed, and then you, like, you're at the mercy of the weather. You're at the mercy of God. Because then it doesn't rain, you, like, got the sprinklers out, and they're not hitting the spot, and it's like, you know, like, the kids are throwing toys all over. It's it's just just not going to work. Right? It's hard work. You don't just want to give up and just require sweat and tears and prayer. But what happens in Psalm 126 is we're reminded of a, of a spirit-filled work and a spirit-empowered work that, that I want so badly to be just my own wisdom and my own effort and I can just navigate this and it's just going to go how I want. And God's like, I'm doing something probably a little bit different than you are. Actually, probably a lot of bit different than you are. It's going to force you to praise me in a way that you didn't plan. And it's going to get your heart in the journey. Like one of the things that Rick and I have had this conversation several times over the past couple weeks, it would be so much easier if we were just a religious place. Right? Like, and we just called our own hearts to just attend, give, um, be a good person. But the gospel beckons us into something deeper, and it's fairly awkward to openly just like confess sin and call out sin in each other's lives and be confronted and like be this vulnerable, open place where we're just a broken people that are trying to navigate the wisdom and will of God 
Like, it would just be so much easier to just be a place that, just kind of be a good person. And just be churchy. And then I could preach, like, this nice, beautiful message that would say, you know, you're doing great, and I'm doing great, and God just loves us for that. And we won't talk about sin, and we won't talk about repentance, and but the gospel beckons us in to a tearful pursuit of redemption and of transformation. Because here's what's happening in this passage, is this is language of revival. Like, look back at the text. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Those who go out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. So it's talking about a humbled heart and a transformed heart. My own heart being humbled in the presence of God, where I'm then equipped by the power of the Spirit then to have seeds that I can sow into your life, and you can sow into my life, and I can sow into my community. That What does it say? Verse 6, bearing the seed for sowing. Those who... He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. So like when I humble my heart and I walk in repentance, God then equips me with his spirit to do the hard work of sowing seed that only he can grow. And usher in his kingdom. Because this hard work, like all that this psalm is talking about, begins with my heart. And it begins with your heart. It's language of revival. It's getting our hearts on board versus asking God to just establish our earthly desires. God, get our hearts on board with what you're doing. The writer of Acts puts it this way, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. That's language of revival. That's language of repentance. So the Israelites, they're in bondage from their own idolatry, and repentance, tearful repentance, is the means to getting back to the heartbeat of the Father and living out the heartbeat of the Father. It's humble brokenness. That's the picture that's painted here. And then, but here's the promise. I call this a promise. Here's the promise. Look at the end of the verse 6. Shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Sheaves are just, it's the fruit of the harvest. It's God's provision. It's God's faithful work where he says, here's your reward. You've sowed in tears. You've trusted in me above anything and everything. Watch the work I'm doing. So there's the promise of joy, and there's the promise of you're going to see fruit from what you're doing. You're going to see fruit from your life and from the seeds that you've sown because I'm teaching you to praise me in a way that you didn't plan. Galatians 6, 9, and let... Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And I just want to say that to to my own heart and to us. Like, wherever God has you, like as a church, don't give up. As an individual, don't give up. As a marriage, as a student, as a parent, 
as a grandparent, don't give up. And then we trust in the truthfulness of Jeremiah 31.9. With weeping they shall come. And with pleas for mercy, I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water. Listen to that promise. In a dry and weary land, I will make them walk by brooks of water. In a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel. And he even knows them by name. Ephraim is my firstborn. It's like the father's looking down at us and he's like, I'm going to provide. I'm going to provide. You're mine. And he says your name as if it's Ephraim. You're mine. So we trust him. We trust him. Let's pray. God, you are faithful, faithful, faithful God. You did it before and you'll do it again. We are an idolatrous, wayward people who doubt you at every turn and want to do our own thing at every turn. And God, we thank you for beckoning us into hard times, for beckoning us in to the reality of being a faithful people. God, would you teach us to praise you in a way that we never planned? Because, God, the alternative is that we'd never praise you. And so, God, would you by your spirit do a work? Would you draw us into your presence and remind us of how good you are? And would you receive all the glory and praise and honor in Christ's name, amen. So as we enter a time of response, I want to give you just a, a subtle reminder. Um, we've been doing this for nine years and 52 weeks a year. That's a lot. of That's like 450 times or so um, where we have a, a time of response. And uh, it's always been this way. We stand and we come to a table where there's a basket for offering and there's a plate with bread on it and a bowl with juice in it. And... I want, I want the word faithfulness to ring in your mind. We're going to be singing great is your faithfulness, uh, great is thy faithfulness here in just a second. But as you come to the table, I want you to celebrate and I want you to think about as you give that God is faithful and he's calling you to be faithful. And as you break the bread and dip it into the bowl, that's the perfect picture of his faithfulness, that he would be so faithful that he would suffer and die so that we might be in the presence of God. So, I encourage you, as great as thy faithfulness is, is sung over you, or you sing with it, to think about the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness that he's calling you to. And, and we respond by, by giving and by receiving God's faithfulness and our faithfulness to him. Respond to God now in your time.
Thank you, God, that you are all that, uh, all that we need. And thank you that you are all of those things and you provide them to us. Your faithfulness is great. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Uh, several things I want to make mention of and let you know about, uh, and I'll try and do them quickly. Uh, Again, happy birthday, North Church, uh, nine years on Friday. Um, it's, been, it's been really cool uh, to be a part of that for nine years. Good Friday service is coming up on sept- or March the 25th, 7 o'clock at Trinity. Uh, if you want more information about that uh, or directions of where that is, um, see us. We'll, we can help you with that. And then also Easter Sunday. Dave mentioned in his sermon, uh, I think the number's like, 85% statistically will people, if you ask them to come to church on Easter, they will say yes to you. Um, so um, ask somebody. You've got two weeks. Um, ask somebody. Maybe somebody God is, is kind of pressing in on your heart. Um, next thing there on your bulletin that says, join us in prayer. We're looking for a new place to be. And there's a couple of uh, really distinct possibilities. One in particular, uh, Florson Valley Baptist Church, which is just down Lindbergh, uh, less than a mile. Um, from, from where we are, I guess that way down Lindbergh, that's Lindbergh. Sorry. Never been good with directions. Um, but it's just a little bit down, down the road from Lindbergh. And that's a very distinct possibility for us. Be in prayer, uh, for that church, for the elders, as we make decisions on, on where to be and, and all that. Um, also, uh, if you were at the family meeting last week, we talked about our current giving situation, and uh, it's, it's pretty bleak, pretty dire, but God is faithful, and we're not worried at all about any of that stuff. But there was a document that was there uh, that we gave out, and it's on the, the table back there. kind of lays out some of the numbers that, that, that's, that uh, we, are the place we find ourselves. But we trust that God is going to provide for us, and so um, we're not really sweating it, but we want you to know uh, what the numbers look like. And then the last thing that's here, this is the, that's on your bulletin. It's, it's been there for a really long time. It says, pray for Rebecca. Rebecca is in right in the middle of six months in the Dominican Republic. Uh, she's, she started there like, what was it, Sarah, the, the second or third of January. So it's been, uh, a couple of months now, more than, more than two months that she's been there. Um, but she can receive texts where she is and she is homesick. Um, you can imagine if you were gone from your home and from your friends and from your family for six months, it'd be kind of hard. And so right in the throes of the difficulty of that, send Rebecca a text today or this week saying that you love her or you appreciate her or you're praying for her because um, it's, it's a really difficult season to be away for six months. But don't just text her, but actually pray for her. Um, let's, uh, let, let, me, let me do that and then we'll go and, uh, and, and be encouraged today. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you gave us this hour or so to gather together as a family to worship you. Thank you for the word that you gave to us of your faithfulness, of your goodness, of your provision, Father. Uh, God, I pray now for Rebecca. Um, I pray for you to descend upon her heart with um, your rich blessing of your presence, Father. Thank you for 
the example that she is to go and um, give of herself to serve your kingdom. God, I pray for success. I pray for fruit to come uh, through her ministry there, God. You are a beautiful and wonderful Father who has provided so much for us, and it's so evident. Nine years in this place, so many people touched, and your presence so profound. We thank you for Jesus. God, guide us as we continue to seek him. In Christ's perfect name, amen.